There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It was an emotional, intense, amazing, uplifting, downlifting, is that a word? Draining sort of a day in Leon yesterday. Murphy back in studio to bring in today's Irish Times second captains podcast and I thought my emotions had settled by the time we went to the airport to board the flight home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Largely because there was no booze at the airport. No tea, coffee. You sobered up this game. No food of note. Uh, well, that's, an, that's an inaccurate reflection of, uh, of uh, how you spent your day yesterday. On. I'd like to retract that from the record and let's continue. Well, I mean, there wasn't much booze around the stadium. That's true. Yeah, that, let's be. It was the most sober. Basically, <laughs> that was that was what was most impressive about the, the Irish fans at this tournament, particularly at this game, anyway, uh, which is one of only two that I was at. Mm. The fact that the, it was as sober as most people ever, most Irish sporting pe- people could be at a sporting event, yeah. because the stadium is a long way from the city centre. You're encouraged to get out early, and most people did. And there's not much action around the stadium. Amazing stadium in Leon, but if you're looking for bars and restaurants around the area. Basically, if you're do, if you're doing the day trip like me and you were doing, there's basically no possible way that you could get drunk on this. <laughs> so there was no. There we go. F- as I say, not not much food in the airport. We were, Please drink responsibly. We were, we resorted we resorted to eating chocolate muffins irresponsibly. I'm going to say, but Freddie <laughs> shoved them down us. Your muffin your muffin intake can be as irresponsible as you like. No stimulants at all, really, at the airport. So it's a good chance for everything to calm down and to yeah. kind of work out how you're feeling about things and. I was feeling I was feeling settled, as I said. I, I thought I was getting a handle on things, and then we bumped into little Tiernan O'Kelly. Yeah. Oh, what a little fella! Young lad, ten years of age, I think. He was at his first away Ireland game after attending all the home games for years and years, season tickets with his dad, uh, Shane, and he was flying back. The reason we we were draw, our attention was drawn to this kid was how closely and jealously he was guarding the souvenir that he was bringing back to Ireland, Glenn Whelan's boots. Two pairs of boots that quite obviously weren't his own. So we spotted him in the queue to get on the flight and then on the shuttle bus from the, the terminal to, over to the airport. I, I'm, I'm sorry, the curiosity just got the better of me. And I asked his dad whose boots they were. And uh, uh, they were Glen Whelan's. And the kid, turned on at the time, was, you know, the, the luggage space they have in between two seats on these shuttle buses? Mm-hmm. Did you just throw the bags in there? He was sitting up <laughs> in there, in between the two seats, this narrow little gap, and he was playing with the boots. But playing with them in such a way as they, at no stage went any more than 12 inches from his, uh, from his lap. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was. It, was, it got us right in the field. Ah, it was adorable. I was, was very nearly bursting into tears at the cuteness of it all. I did see you asking, hear you asking, so uh, what size... Today <laughs> and you were told eight and a half, and you went, "Oh, never oh, mind." Well. I won't ask the next question that was in my head. Yeah, <laughs> I can speak on behalf of yourself, I think, here, Kieran, and myself, by saying that we both feel like we aged about ten years over those twelve hours or so in France. Yeah. I've got physical proof of the aging process. In fact, uh, yeah, but certainly of the last four years in front in front of me. We had a listener called Dylan Patton met him at the game, and we got a photo with Dylan, who has tweeted us both that photograph and a snap of the three of us, myself, yourself, and Dylan back at Euro 2012 in Poznan. Yeah. He helpfully had the photograph from Poznan on his phone as he came over. So but even before 
the photograph had been taken, I knew the difference had been shocking and devastating. Particularly to my for you. I, I, yeah, your self-esteem. I was reasonably happy. Uh, yeah, well, I, I have less hair now than I did then, more, but I, yeah, I, I yeah, knew that was the case, so that's, yeah. that's fine. I mean, that's, that doesn't, that's not something that you... It creeps up you without noticing. No. You know, at some stage you come to an accommodation, there it is, I have less yeah, hair. Considering even yesterday I had to spend a large par- par- portion of the game using my scarf as a shield for my head from the sun. I use it as a hat. <laughs> my scarf is largely a hat. But anyway, yeah, yeah. so uh, tell us, for describe me, the difference in For me, in it seemed like, you know, I was aging reasonably gracefully. Sure, a few more grey hairs. Quite a few, yep. Maybe a little bit of a muffin top developing around the... The waste region, but nothing, nothing terminal. You know, it it kind of feels like there it is. I'm 33 now, gonna be 34 soon. That's fine. I can handle that. 30. I mean, how how much younger or older could I possibly look in those four years? The answer, Owen, quite a bit, quite a bit. I'm gonna say that I looked no, no little more than 28 back in uh, <laughs> back in Gdansk. I'd have passed for 28, Owen. Uh, looking at me right now in this photograph. I look 43 years old. It's the beard, though. We all know this. A man, shaves, you're unshaven, you're clean-shaven, I should say, in 2012, and yeah. you've got a beard yesterday and today. So, therefore, you do just look a lot older. I should but say that Dylan is looking younger. Dylan Dylan's hair way, is getting better. Way younger. Mm, interesting. His hair is getting suspiciously yeah. more plentiful in uh, four you, years. You, you see transplants everywhere, <laughs> old. Well, uh, just been doing a bit of research. No big deal. <laughs> Your Facebook, Google ads are literally <laughs> nothing but hair transplant ads. But uh, yeah, I just see the beard. But then uh, I, was, so I was having a very uh, intelligent conversation with someone recently, Mark Horgan. Uh, it was about my selfie game. Uh, when I'm taking selfies, I kind of lean back and it, I, I get very jowly as a result. So a lot of jowls. And I'm thinking that if I were to shave my beard, the jowliness would become almost intolerable. And I would, yeah, I would step away from public payoff. life altogether. I would literally never take another photograph or have a photograph taken of me ever again. So I kind of feel that on the one hand, the beard is protecting, protecting me. And yet in another way, I mean, it is quite grey. It's quite a grey beard. The bits of it that used to be brown and red are now brown and grey. So I, yeah. I, I, you can see my yeah. dilemma, you know, get rid of the beard. Maybe I look a little younger, younger but I also but f- look fatter. Sure. Basically. Sure. So Thanks for that, Dylan Patton. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan, for adding another layer of depression. Ahead of England versus Iceland yeah. tonight. Big news about everybody's favourite commentator. Yes. yes. Yeah. Very big Good news. Munder there. Because he's been sacked. Benedictson. Good Munder Benedict. He did his job Benedictson too well. Has been sacked. That's shocking. But not from his commentary job. Because he was an assistant manager. At uh, Kaor Reykjavik. Yeah. Currently struggling in Iceland's top flight. Uh, they sit ninth in the 12-team Urvalds deal. That's pretty bad because they're the only team that I know the name of. Yeah, Iceland. I mean... They should be I, doing better than ninth. They're the giants <laughs> yeah. of uh, Icelandic club football. Uh, so he's been, <laughs> he's been let go. Kind of like one of these situations where I'm sure Goodmunder is having such a whale of a time in France. And ah, who cares? Job. I'll get another job. This only happens once in a lifetime. But uh, when Iceland get knocked out, maybe tonight, maybe on Sunday when they play the host, uh, you know, then maybe the reality will kick in that there's not that many games to commentate on in Iceland. You know, maybe he's got a sweet deal. Maybe it looks like a sweet deal on a pro uh, game by game basis. What's he been sacked for? Oh uh, well, detail? terrible results. Oh, okay. Bad start to the season. So it's nothing to do with. I thought maybe he, had, he was supposed. No, to he's taking his eye off the ball. Or, uh, the yeah, ball. yeah, no, no. That's that's just. I, oh, well, that's, I, think I mean, I think it'd be pretty harsh to hold it against the dude. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the man's an internet viral sensation. I think Goodmunder is going to use that as further fuel tonight if they go and win the... I think the pressure is on Goodmunder, you know? Ireland South Africa chat a little bit later with Shane Horgan. There's a lot of talk around that, that Joe Schmidt mightn't be around for too much longer. This has been going on for a long time, but he certainly didn't do anything to necessarily dispel the notion in the post-match interviews so we'll chat to Shane about that as well as what we can take out of the tour Oshin McConville is here Oshin how are you? Oh, morning Morning to you have you recovered from the uh, taxing emotional stresses around watching so much sport yesterday? Uh, look it's been an unbelievable two weeks yeah. uh, football uh, golf GA it's had everything uh, and I fell in love with their soccer team again Oh did you? Yeah yeah. because I hadn't really watched a lot in the last uh, Trapatonia or I didn't really watch watch any 
soccer whatsoever. Yeah. I've I've seen him play a couple of times, and I decided that that probably wasn't going to happen. I watched him play in half empty stadiums, whether that had been Crow Park or the Aviva Stadium. But uh, I just thought there was something different about the Italian game, mm. and you know, we're good at a couple of things. We're good at putting them under pressure, <laughs> and uh, we're good at uh, getting stuck in. And we have players now with a bit of skill as well, and that nearly got us over the lane yesterday. Yeah, and I was so looking forward to an England, uh, an Eng- uh, yeah, a chance at England, England, yeah, England or Iceland, of course. Yeah, wait, no right. disrespect, of course, to the, the weaker <laughs> two, countries two, out two there. Iceland, yeah. yeah, if there's anybody from Iceland, well, <laughs> Richie Sadler was in for our football podcast and said that at half time he was getting texts from friends of his asking for tickets for, yeah. for the England game yeah. and they were literally sending him flight details and working out how they were getting over at half time but you know what see when you're at home it felt like that it felt like just one of those games we were just going to win did mm. it yeah. Yeah, yeah at half time and uh, oh, so disappointing it was it was actually draining it was actually really really draining I thought that was just the sun, to be honest. It meant that I was completely <laughs> well, exhausted. There's no by sun where I was. I was in South Armagh. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's not exactly but, the sun <laughs> trap of Ireland. But it, no, it was just, it was so draining. And then I sort of managed to muster up the courage and stuck on uh, Westmeath and Kildare. <laughs> that brought you back <laughs> there, <dirt>, that's it. <laughs> and that just finished me off. Mm. Yeah, there was nobody at the game. I mean, very few people. No, there was very few people who were in for that game. And... Uh, I imagine even the people that did go in for it regretted it immediately. It was it was it was a poor game. And look at when you're playing in front of a a, a virtually empty Crow Park, that's gonna demean the um, the attitude of the players first and foremost, and just the general. When you see the seagulls, you know, actually stand, sitting on the field in the corner, you know <laughs> that there's something eerie or something. Something wrong about it, but uh, it must be kind of strange. I did see yeah, Alan Brogan was writing about this uh, in his Sunday Inno column, saying that he, he, this is in regard to Dublin Mead, and he wasn't saying that it was going to affect the result in any way. But he did say it provides a challenge to managers throwing in later than usual. Players don't really like that. GA players in particular aren't used to necessarily playing at night that that often. I suppose in the league they do, so maybe that's a bit null and void. But uh, even the fact that it was on the same day as this big momentous yeah. Irish sporting event, that the players would all. Whether they see any of it or not, wouldn't obviously be aware that this is going. It could be a strange mindset for players to be in sometimes. It can, and you know what? It it definitely affects supporters. I mean, if you're going in and you're watching that game, which the majority of people going to the GA would be watching that game yesterday. If you're going and you're watching that game and you're in such a hay for so long during that game, and then all of a sudden you're going and you're trudging up to Crow Park, it's just everybody's sort of on a downer, and that's the way it felt. That's the way it felt yesterday. And even the last 10 minutes of the Dublin match just wasn't... It wasn't quite Dublin, I didn't think. it was. They were holding on to the ball. They weren't just finish, They weren't just putting the finishing touches to Meath, which they, in previous years, would have done. Um, and it was just one of those days, as far as GA are concerned. It was, it was like the after party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it yeah, was yeah. Like yeah. Decent crowd, though. Over 40,000. It was over 40,000. It's not too bad. Yeah, I saw reports saying that it was the lowest uh, crowd at a Dublin Meath game. Uh, for a long number of years, but to be honest, I would say that's a really, really good crowd. Yeah, on the UK, especially. Yeah, on the on the day that was in it, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was it, it's an odd one, you know. I mean, I I have seen a couple of people suggesting that Meads gave a couple of in, indications that maybe Dublin's half back line you know, are missing Jack Jack McCaffrey, and also this the this aerial bombardment idea that everyone is kind of clinging on to that Dublin might be in trouble that maybe there was a few straws in the wind it's the tone of your question yeah. the tone of your question I'm like not a, entirely it's, it's believing this give me something yeah. hopeful tone yeah well I mean it's it's an 11 point loss uh, or an 11 point win when they didn't get out of second gear yeah. so I suppose we are we are looking for to take something from what was a bit of a non-event yeah I tell you the truth the only thing that I would take from yesterday is that I actually think me are are going in the right direction and people may think I'm mad but I genuinely think if Meath can take something out of yesterday and aren't too badly affected uh, by yesterday I think they can do something in the qualifiers they've got a tough one to go to Derry not because it's Derry but because they have to go up there Yeah. Um, I think they'll win that game I think they're quarterfinal material and and maybe further I just think that they seem to be building something. They seem to be going and. Well, you think the they right can make direction. an Ireland semi-final? 
I think there's a possibility. I, I, I like something. To get like Ross Common or Galway. Yeah, I like the, the few things. The yeah, I like the few things about them yesterday. Um, midfielder looks strong. Uh, I think as a forward unit, they had a chance early on. They had a couple of chances early on. Uh, McDonough had a, had a really really good chance to stick a goal in. You know, ach, look at. I don't think it would have made any difference against Dublin, but. They're not going to be playing Dublin now, mm-hmm. you know, until possibly a, a semi-final or a final. So, um, you know, I think they're going in the right direction. Dublin, uh, the only thing they can take from yesterday is the fact that they won. They did it in a in a polished sort of manner. I don't want to harp back in order to prove the point that I was right after the <laughs> after the league final. But uh, if you if you watched. Um, uh, Connolly and uh, Philly McMahon yesterday they were like teacher's pets because they did absolutely everything right and they had their, their heels cool the last day yesterday it was Bernard Brogan's turn and Kevin McMenamin so uh, you know it's, it's such a great position to be in I know they play Westmead and they'll, they'll, they'll comfortably beat Westmead in a, in a less final and you couldn't expect anything else some people say that you know yesterday you know there was a few a few flaws in the game. You cannot tell on until you see them playing against the big teams, and there ain't that many big teams. Um, until you see playing against some of the better teams, uh, you won't be able to judge Dublin. But as far as I can see, still like the way way ahead of everybody else. Well, two of those better teams were playing against each other: uh, Kingsland, Brentley <coughs> Park, uh, Donegal, and Monaghan. This has developed into one of the real big rivalries. It, it, maybe it has been for a long time in Ulster, but nationally, it's a game that tends to always yeah. deliver. Yeah, it does, and <clears throat> the hits in the game was unbelievable. It's uh, actually interesting that was, the, that was the first thing you said because that was the first thing I thought having watched the game as well is that this the physicality of this is ridiculous. I mean, I think it, like they keep ratcheting it up yeah. one after another. I mean, like the Stephen Golligly hit on Mark McHugh yeah. two years ago. There was like five or six of That's those. Actually, three years ago. Now. Three years yeah. ago. Wow. So yeah, it's and it's been. It's gone. It's gone up <laughs> yeah. every single year, which is and familiarity is breeding contempt with those teams. They they don't like each other, and the sidelines don't like each other, and there's just a real there's real edge to it now. Yeah, and it's, it makes for it makes for great entertainment, even if the game isn't absolutely brilliant. It makes for great entertainment. It's sort of gripping stuff, you know. Yeah, and it was the game of the championship, I would say so far. I mean, we uh, for anyone who wasn't at Tipperary in Cork, I suppose, and we only saw two or three minutes of that. That this was the game of the championship that, that we've seen so far. Strange as well because after the Fermanagh game, I, I I thought Donegal were, were missing a, a bit of pace. The funny thing is that because of Neil McGee uh, not playing, they introduced Kieran Gillespie, and he didn't play at full back. He played in wing half back. I had him at for a year and and uh, in, in college in Dundalk. And one thing he has is a huge pace. He's very very raw. He has a lot of he has a lot of edges that need to be whipped off him. But he, it's funny the goal chance fell to him, and that yeah. was the you know that was the game. Uh, if you like, but uh, they had a little bit of extra pace than they had, uh, and Frank McGlynn played uh, on the par for the first time probably in a couple of years. Um, I just think Monaghan have, Monaghan have too much in the replay for them, uh, Monaghan have too much to improve on, and they have, and they won't be happy with the second half performance. The second half performance was really, really poor. McManus kept them in the game mm-hmm. through freeze, and that's the other thing over the last two weeks that I've noticed. Standard free taking has gone south dramatically. I mean, Murphy missed four frees. Uh, McBrady missed two very, very simple free kicks. Um, Tyrone missed five from nine last week. That's a, that's something that if you want to be challenging, you know, if you want to try and kick on and challenge. Uh, can't that's, do that. No, that's one of the things that you have to have, and you have to have nailed down. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Rory Gallagher actually said afterwards that he thought he was going to have to put the boots on himself <laughs> and kick a few frees, which is like Glenn Hoddle <laughs> levels of managerial boasting. Um, but it did actually remind me of a story you told me after the 2013 All Ireland quarter final between Donegal and Armagh, 2014, um, when Tony Kernan missed two frees at the end. Uh, so Donegal were a point up. Tony Kernan had two 45-metre frees, uh, put both of them wide. And so Tony uh, went back to his club, into the warm embrace <laughs> of his club three days later, to find his uh, then-club manager, Oshin McConville, standing on the 45-yard line, chipping frees over <laughs> one after another in his uh, tracksuit bottoms. 
Which oh, is I, I remember. I remember. I remember. Actually, well, I was actually walking on that game, and I remember he took the first free off the, off the ground, and I said. He should have took it out of his hands. <laughs> he took the second free out of his hands and said, "No, nah, he should have went for it." Off That's the, the one he should again. have taken off the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. The, but the standard free free taking and if, if Donegal had to kick the freeze, then they'd have won the game. Should, should players be taking it off the ground or out of their hands? Is, is that should that be a case by case basis? You see, some players who do both. If you can take them off the ground, it's a more correct science. Well, just because it's more, if you have the right routine, it's there's more, not, there's more not as many moving parts. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I took free kicks for the majority of my career off the ground and I got a back injury and I had to move on from that and that's why I started to take. But it's unbelievable the amount of practice I did from switching from taking them off the ground to taking them out of my hands because I had to. Did you? you know I mean? Was it basically you started again almost, as a free taker? Almost, almost. And we had, I might have mentioned to you, we had Dave Allred at a... At a, at a oh yeah, the train, kicking coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a training camp in 2002 and he slowed it all down and he went through uh, different things and there were certain things that I could take from it and there were certain things he couldn't. Mm. Uh, but um, one of the things he was, he, he drilled into me was that this it has to be the exact same thing all of the time. So even though I was taking a free kick in a in a like a training match, which is probably annoying for boys that boys just want to get on with it, they want training to to flow and, yeah, and you yeah, want yeah. that match to flow. But I I had to take every free kick the way I was going to take it at the weekend. Yeah, and and he he drilled that into me, and that's what you do the most. And the strange thing is when I watched because uh, I watch right now, and when I watched Darren McCurry come off the field and chip a free kick over the bar over the bar from fifty yards to put Tyrone three points up. And then he had a chance to win it at the end for Tyrone, and his technique was completely different to the to the technique. And he just pulled it, and it just right. you know, and it just it just went wide. But that's the thing you would look for in free takers is that there's a consistency in the way they step up to it. Yeah, and can you see something in in what Murphy was doing? Because mm. I I kind of felt that he was um, that there there is not that repetition there. That there is an element of sort of lackadaisical. <clears throat> To his approach, which yeah. you know, and to be fair, he's been one of the best free takers out there for the last couple of years. So maybe there's just something going on at the moment in his technique that he's not entirely sure of. But he has an he has a, an ankle injury, and he only trained I think six days before the Fermanagh game. So he probably only has another couple of weeks training under his belt. If it's something to do with that, but the way I looked at it was that I thought he was trying to force things at the week uh, at the weekend. You know that he was trying to hit them a little bit harder than he normally hits them, and trying to get a bit more distance in them. I mean, the free kick he tried at the end. Is probably not a free kick that he should have been yeah. trying in the first place because that's only going to drain the confidence. You know what I mean? You want it. You want a, you know, a, quite a handy. One. Don't get me wrong. I've seen him kick them. I've seen him kick them from sixty yards. but yeah. it just wasn't his night from freeze. And as well, you know, there's oftentimes free takers. They rely on practice in their heads. You know, so from yeah. a mental point of view, is if I've done the work, I'm going to feel a lot more yeah. confident over a free. Which in itself is more important. But how, than do you, how do you know Murphy's not doing the work? No, I'm just saying that if he's been injured. Oh, okay, so sorry. You know, yeah, 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 if he's been injured, then maybe as a result, the the practice he has, hasn't had time to put the hours in. Look at that, and the way that um, Dublin have approached it this year, or the way that uh, even the way Donegal have approached it. Okay, so the three kicks didn't go over the other night. That's not something that I associate on a long term basis with with Donegal, and that's different to Tyrone's problem. Tyrone's problem is that when they take a free kick. If they miss, it's Jesus. Who's next, yeah. Throw it to the next game. It, that's a, it's a goes. club football approach, yeah. nearly, which is and not like, good. If you have four and five free takers per, like Mickey Hart was actually asked about it after the after the last game, and he said like we've got a problem converting long range free kicks. Like you know, mm-hmm. what I mean, so he he knows what the problem is, but he just he just can't fix it. And yeah, he, he yeah. said there was nobody there that could that could fill that void. Yeah, and it's it's like that line, you know, if you've got. If you've got two or three goalkeepers, you don't have a goalkeeper, you know. <laughs> you know, and that, that's what it is with free t- yeah. with free takers. You know? It's a funny one, but Tyrone produce yeah. uh, not as strong now as they were six, seven years ago. They, they constantly produce good footballers yeah. and nice forwards. Why can't they produce guys who can just knock it over the bar from dead dead ball? I, to I actually can't believe it. I can't believe that they haven't got somebody in that squad because they're very, very talented. McCallaghy's very, very talented. McCurry's very, very talented and very, very accurate. And, and has a beautiful style, like yeah. that, that that chip style that he has of free taking, is a very repeatable action. You would thought you would have thought, and he gets huge distance out of it. You would think, Darren, like here is a bag of balls, you yeah. know, get practicing. You are our free taker, and if you miss the first four, you're taking the fifth, and that's it. And then there's a stage where you practice that much that it's inside your head, and then when people like me talk about it a lot of the time, 
it gets inside your head further. Mm-hmm. And then every free <laughs> kick you step up to take, you know, you're thinking about it. Yeah. And you're going through, you know, the you're going through stuff that you don't need to be going through. Whereas if you just go, if you what Dave Alvarez was saying was that if you just go through the same routine over and over again, it doesn't matter if it's fourteen yards out in a practice game on a Tuesday night or it's the it's the it's the one from fifty yards to win the all Ireland final. You yeah, know. Brian Sheen, I, you always think... Well, I, see, I like that yeah. effortless kind of style. Yeah. If I was to take free kicks at inter-county level, Oshin, I'd go for that. I'd go for effortless. <laughs> e- even when it's about 50 yards out, it just Everything to, you do at inter-county should be as effortless. <laughs> as effortless <laughs> as possible. It should look like it's, it's not by the wrong. Okay, quick word then on next weekend, because it's Tyrone Cavan replaying on Saturday, and then Donegal, Monaghan on Sunday... Uh, the we've talked about how the championship. Well, we talk about it every year. It's just a weird structure. It doesn't uh, doesn't really take off in the way that it should. But we've had a few big moments. Yeah, Galway's uh, Galway's win against Mayo, tip against Cork, and then a good game between Donegal and Monaghan at the weekend. Could next weekend be a big one? Yeah, I think both of those games uh, will be feisty um, and should be quite decent games. Especially, I think the Tyrone Cavan one because I think Tyrone will have learned a lot of lessons from from uh, last week's game. Cavan. The strange thing about Cavan is that. You know, everybody says that Cavan has missed their chance, but Cavan had a lot of people who underperformed, and some of the big players, McKiernan, for the second game in a row against uh, Tyrone, has been very, very poor. He shot the lights out, although he's, you know, yeah. uh, in, in the league, in the first round of the championship against Armagh, he was exceptional. Um, so it, they'll try and maybe get him to break free a little bit. Killian Clark, full back, who played, ironically, a full forward in the last day against Tyrone. I think there's a position on the field where he can do a lot more damage because he's very, very effective. He's very athletic. Um, but yeah, it should be should be a good weekend next weekend. Okay, and for any free kick takers out there who've been listening to you for the last 10 minutes, where should they send a check? Care of Cross McLean, care of Bushy McConnell. It'll get them. thank you. Thanks. Well, a lot of great moments. The performance against Italy was fantastic. Not winning the game against Sweden was actually a disappointment to me. Crosses back to the edge of the penalty. You felt at the start of the tournament you needed to win a game to give yourself a really decent chance of qualifying. And it looked as if we'd spurned that. Combining that there with the crowd that we had, the supporters that we took, the humour that they uh, had throughout the tournament, uh, the stories coming back. Um, one of those YouTube things of the nun on the train singing um, our father Martin Heaven to I think that was brilliant and far more highs than lows I have to say from time to time I get heavy hearted thinking of how we used to kiss
a good fight. Just felt like I was there for us today. And our fans are unbelievable, and I would love, love to go a bit further for them. But um, we hope we made people proud because our fans are amazing, and everyone back home is amazing. And as I said, we're just disappointed we couldn't see that. Brilliant stuff there. Hopefully, everybody can take a, a little something out of Oshin's clinic. His Dave Allred inspired kicking. Allred is you would if you ever see him described as anything. Probably kicking guru would be used most yeah. often. You uh, might as well get have his name changed by deed ball. He's sort of one of these guys. He's part psychologist, part kicking coach. He's worked in a number of sports. Rugby is where he made his name uh, with Johnny Wilkinson in particular. He's pretty sure he's worked with Johnny Sexton. Does a lot of the Lions stuff has but he's branched out Patrick Harrington took him for a while which is why I'm saying that he's not just a kicking coach because you know I don't think you should kicking the golf ball down the course is going to do a huge amount for you but he, he sort of focuses on he's a Patrick Harrington kind of guy he thinks yes. a lot about how the mind works at top level sport as well Patrick Harrington made an appearance in the stadium yesterday oh yeah Irish celebrity fan Patrick Harrington France's celebrity fan was Otieri Dusitoire mm-hmm. uh, so I I kind of half heard Thierry Dusser. And then I was like, wait a second. Who's going to turn up here as Ireland's celebrity fan? This could be literally anyone. Uh, turned out to be Porter Carrington. Not the most rabble-rousing figure you could have picked. Um, Focus on the processes there, guys. Yeah. Don't think too much about the, <laughs> the Focus on the processes is the sort of thing that maybe our players would like to hear. But our fans... No. You know, we're not, we're not a process-based group of people. That, uh, that group of uh, Irish fans in the stadium last night. Or last afternoon. Our Euros podcast is out now. I featured a lot of chat, well, almost exclusively chat about Ireland. Uh, France, Ken was over in, I think he was back in Paris. Can't remember exactly where we were speaking again. I'm getting confused now. He's doing so much travelling over there. Richie was right here with us. Philippe Claire chatted. We talked mostly to Philippe about Pogba. I had a slightly diff- differing take. I thought Pogba was amazing because I'd never seen him live before. Philippe was explaining how useless he was. <laughs> so that was the, the sense yeah, of that Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of... I think the more you see Paul Paul Pogba live, the more you might get used to the fact that he's an amazing physical specimen who does uh, numerous brilliant things. Griezmann like is not as amazing physical specimen uh, in, at first glance. I'll be what he does with his with his rather smaller frame is equally as impressive. And that's one guy we didn't really talk to Philippe or about or talk probably enough about in the game from the French point of view. Because it was funny being in the ground. It really felt like a coronation of the next king of French football. I know Payet has been their main guy so far, but it was almost Zidane-like in the way that they were bowing to him. He went over to take a corner at one stage maybe five, ten minutes after he scored the two goals and he got the full-on crowd going nuts, we're not worthy kind of stuff yeah. uh, and proceeded to whip in another great cross. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, that's a pretty big day for Antoine Griezmann's career, I would have thought, oh, yeah. yesterday. Um, we revitalised Fernando Torres's Spain career in the last Euros and we've given Griezmann a leg well, up here, like albeit in much less demoralising. We, we like to help where we can. Simon, for those of our listeners whose heads were buried in the Euros, it was another huge effort by the rugby team on Saturday, but ultimately they came up frustratingly short again, yeah? Yeah, I mean, if you measure the series in terms of chances, Ireland were miles ahead. They had big leads. Um, obviously, first test was heroic. Second test should have, could have been won. And then third test... Three really clear chances. The one at the very end when Owen Redden threw it wide and Joe Schmidt hinted afterwards that that wasn't the right option and I agree with Joe Schmidt. Um, The Luke Marshall one to Keith Earls, which was a difficult thing to accomplish, but you feel most teams probably would have done it. And then uh, maybe I think the most glaring one or the easiest one to finish was Paddy Jackson where Stuart Oling was coming up on the inside and Faf de Klerk, the South African scrum half, managed to block it off. But... If you think about those three chances, um, New Zealand probably would have finished all three. Australia, two of the three. Argentina, one of the three. Teams like Ireland and South Africa finished zero of those three chances. And people say, well, that's the difference. And then the question is, that's the difference between, say, Ireland and these top, top teams. But then the question is, is that down to just player skill and vision? And is, can that ever be taught? Is that Joe Schmidt's fault? Is it the structure's fault? Do we need a, a set play at that stage? 
um, what's the solution to us finishing those chances I think is the main thing that comes out of this tour yeah it did seem to me that we were trying to be creative in those finishes uh, the criticism a lot of the time on, in the last year or so under Schmidt is that we get to the their 22 and we're just you know, one off runners pounding 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 which is what we did in the final phase but yeah. We, we, yeah we didn't do it in the rest of the series yeah. it was like when the pressure really came on we went back to that but yeah. which is for 99% world, of this series Ireland didn't do that but it, it still came down to execution that wasn't quite quite up to the top standard a weekend of heroic defeats in Irish sport I guess certainly in Leon. I don't know if you're going to class it as such in Port Elizabeth Shane Horgan would you describe it as a moral victory for the rugby team um, no, I wouldn't. I don't think so. It was uh, a disappointing loss, really, um, given um, the state of the Springbrook team and actually how they played and how well Ireland had played in the two games before that. I think it was kind of disappointing because um, they um, they didn't play their best game of the series. They actually played their worst game of the series when, when it probably mattered most in, in the final test. So I think they'll be disappointed. Um, but I do think there was, uh, you know, there was some negatives came out of it, but there was a huge amount of positives in the tour overall. And I do think it, there's a couple of um, traits have come out of the, um, the three performances to, to make us think a different way about what we can maybe achieve and how we go about achieving it. What are those traits? What's come out? Well, I, th- I think we... Um, uh, played uh, with a, for large parts of the game we played uh, or the games we played um, with a lot more um, subtlety to our game um, I thought the idea of using a second 5-8 as it were uh, Marshall in the first game Olding was less effective in the second game but very effective again in the third for long periods of it as um, you know playing our 12 as a, as a second 5-8 second receiver worked really well and I would have loved to see how much better it would have worked if um, Payne had have been in a 15 for the final test. I think we, you know, we got the ball in his hands a lot more. He was he was a, a very dominant figure in the first couple of de- games, as well as being like a very calming figure um, at 15, which we're used to with Rob Carney. Um, but I think we saw that when we when we use the second five eight to move the ball out a channel wider, it makes uh, defending more difficult. And uh, I think that's something that we've seen through um, England play this year in particular, but we've also seen it traditionally from Australia. The other thing I thought we saw for large periods of the first and second game were our forwards uh, moving the ball a little bit more. And and we've we've seen that a lot from Connacht uh, this season. I've seen it from Glasgow the year before. It makes things very difficult for the the defence and we saw a number of our forwards who were not used to um, change the point of attack and that made things more difficult for um, South Africa now if we continue to do that I think we'll make things increasingly difficult um, for teams to, to defend against us and I think we'll get better at doing it unfortunately um, when the pressure came on um, towards the end of the third test we stopped doing that, those two things and started just taking one out runners and um, I was always going to be easy for South Africa why do you think Ireland started doing that on this tour uh, with the greater variety? Um, why do we see more offloads? And do you think those lessons will be absorbed for next season? Um, I think they should be absorbed um, and they very mel- may well be. I think the reasons behind it are, are kind of you know, complex, but certainly uh, one is the nature of an end-of-season tour, especially down to the Southern Hemisphere. Expectations were quite low on this team. Um, and there was a huge amount of changes, and I think um, for that, those reasons, we freed up a little bit in the way we played. Uh, that was followed in the second test uh, by similar with huge raft of tra- changes. Expectations were probably low, but also maybe a realization that's the only way you can play against South Africa, or it's the most beneficial way to play. And it was really encouraging to see players that didn't have a huge amount of test match experience really stepping up and being confident and wanting the ball very often getting a first receiver or play coming off second receiver and I think that does the big difference um, and I think you know the fact that we had Paddy Jackson at 10 may have contributed to that as well because um, I think Sexton is a better player um, but he's also a more dominant player and I think that can sometimes lead to too much being left up to Johnny Sexton. And I think this time out, we saw a lot more players contributing and that was, that was successful for Ireland. This is all very well, Shane, but we may not have our coach for too much longer based on 
what the journalists out there seem to be saying, certainly Jerry Thornley uh, talking about this idea that he's, we know he's been coveted by New Zealand uh, for a long time, that it might suit him, family circumstances and other reasons to go back. Are, are you concerned that we might actually lose Schmidt in the next year or so? Um, I'm concerned, yeah, because he's a really good coach. He's um, probably the best co- coach out there. Um, he's been you know, wildly successful for us, but I'm not surprised. I think when you have a coach that good, um, he's always going to be coveted by um, other teams. Um, I think really the only job that Joe would go for, and he's he's shown this already, is, is to go for that All Blacks job. Now, because of the systems in place in the union in New Zealand, you can't go directly in to take the All Blacks job. You have to go in and work within uh, one of the uh, super rugby teams and so that will be the mechanism to get Joe the job. We've seen he was, I'm sure he was coveted for the um, England job, which would have been a huge amount of money and uh, increase in, in wage. And we've seen how good that English team, the, how, many, how good the raw talent is. And he didn't take it now. Um, so that shows to some degree he's got like in a loyalty to Ireland. And also I think it's, it also maybe shows that he um, could have he had one eye on the New Zealand job. And you couldn't blame him if he takes it. He's a New Zealander. Um, he, it's the you know, biggest job in, in world rugby, one of the biggest jobs in world sport. And if he's offered it, um, even if it is through a through a year mechanism to, to by having to take a um, Super 12 uh, sorry, Super Rugby uh, New Zealand team, uh, it's to be expected. He gave it for a lot of criticism for the first time really in his time in Ireland during the last Six Nations and after the World Cup. Did this tour make you think any differently about Joe Schmidt as an international coach? Um, I think it's showing... I, I, I've always had a little bit of a different thought about Joe because I've had a first-hand experience of, of what he was trying to do um, with the teams that he's he's coached that I've been in in, in um, Leinster, and I don't think he would have disavowed those principles that uh, gave him success in in Leinster. So, um, but I do think that there was this, and we've spoken about it before. There was this latent pressure on players, and not to um, that that inhibited them from playing what ultimately Joe wanted to do. Um, so. He wants players to offload the ball. He wants players to make the right decision. That's the key sort of mantra of Joe, and that's the key of all his um, his uh, coaching, is that players, in the, when presented with a certain set of circumstances in front of them, they choose the right option. Now, I think he's always wanted players to do that, but because he's also a huge desire for players not to make fundamental mistakes and demand that they don't make mistakes, then that had inhibited players. That seemed to have gone for this uh, series, and if you know if that was to continue on, that would be almost the perfect situation for Ireland because they, uh, you know, Joe's brilliant at uh, deconstructing teams. Um, he's very good with players, and um, I think he he's his uh, coaching on basic skills is really formidable as well. So he's got the complete package. But there was something I thought during that Six Nations that was inhibiting players a little bit. So if this has, this tour has proven that he's somehow managed to arrest that, uh, then you know there's not a whole lot else that he can do. Did you get a feeling over the last few weeks watching England Australia? I know New Zealand beat Wales in the three tests, but Wales came close, and they were in the first two tests in the second half. It was they were tight games. Um, France beat Argentina. Ireland could, should have won two out of three tests, maybe even three out of three. What we thought about after the World Cup... England as well. England obviously sweeping Australia. Did you say that already? England England sweeping Australia. This is something that Schmidt has actually been strong on himself. He said... He's constantly, consistently said since the World Cup that the gap isn't that big and that a couple of results either way in the World Cup would have shown that actually there's not that big a gap between us and the teams down there. What do you think, Shane? yeah, I think we've all said that. And, you know, I think we've all said that at different uh, times that maybe the gap isn't as big as we think. I still think there's a, a quite significant gap between New Zealand and the rest. Mm. Um, I think um, they look really, really good against um, Wales at different times. And I think that they have the potential to up their game to a different level than everybody else. They've got some really good players at the moment. Um but I think the rest there's not that much between uh, between them, and I think certainly when 
the shackles are removed a little bit uh, from the Six Nations teams and they're not playing actually Six Nations rugby. Um, we see that their skill level is quite high. Sort of they're intellectually they're up there with any other team um, on breaking oppositions down or the type of game that they're trying to play. And we have seen we have seen England being extremely dominant against the team that got to the um, world, you know, the the, the the World Cup final. Now they have been shorn of some numbers, uh, and I think probably the the money that's in the um, the English Premiership and the top 14 at the moment is having an effect on Southern Hemisphere teams to some degree. But I certainly don't think that the the, the skill level is anywhere near as um, as big or, or the skill deficit is there that that has been made out. Um, and it's kind of important that this summer happened to recalibrate everything in people's minds because it's it's not that big a jump. All right, Shane, excellent stuff. Thanks, Emil. Thanks, Emil. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player. Which is the game you wanted a victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted a victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. Well, it's just the nervousness. You look frustrated on the pitch. Which is the game you wanted a victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. You wanted victory. Well, I want that victory. Which is the game you want that victory, boy? Didn't have a wobble. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. It's just a crying big baby and you cannot call a player a baby. It's a good point about this Southern Hemisphere. I don't want to bang on about this Southern Northern Hemisphere, but it's just one of the few sports where it's so obviously geographically divided and it almost feels like one team versus another team. But I will say that South Africa, Argentina and Australia are very lucky to be lumped into this supposed debate with New Zealand. Really, as Shane says, New Zealand are just 10 times better than everybody else. Now, certainly over the last few years, they've developed into that. And the, the other teams are beatable on their day. Yeah, exactly. It's New Zealand and then the next seven teams and then all the other teams that those seven teams beat all the time. That's essentially the, the rugby structure at the moment. And I'd like to see England, New Zealand at the moment. I'd like to see them play each other because England are closing the gap. They're the only ones who are closing the gap. And I think they're the only ones with, with the personnel involved to beat them. I don't think they'd beat them over three series, but they might just win one of those and three. And the mindset. They might have to go over. To, you, could, you could see England going over to New Zealand maybe winning one of three tests. They're extremely away. confident at the and moment. Then, well, at the moment. I mean, yeah. next weekend, uh, you know, England might have the confidence to go and, uh, and scare New Zealand. I mean, by the time next June comes around, who knows what may have happened. But certainly, you watch the England, that, that series against Australia. England have been so good and also just so bulgy about the whole thing. They just have a few characters now that would scare you from an Irish perspective, Maro Toji and others that there's just a different feel about them and with Eddie Jones there he knows how to tap into those characters. The Speaking of England, their football team, as we mentioned, is in action tonight and am I mental in thinking that Iceland could turn them over? Well you're not mental. I'm sort of already we're getting the it's amazing how this happens to England in every major tournament. We're getting this snipey kind of stuff between Roy Hodgson and the media. I heard on Five, Five Lives, regular podcasts um, during the Euros, they played a clip of an exchange between... There's a lot made of the exchange over the weekend where Hodgson went into great detail about defending the changes that he made for the Slovakia game and said essentially it comes down to whether or not I should have started one player, Wayne Rooney, and I think it's fine that I didn't start him. He went into a lot of detail on that, but there was another one where he was asked, oh, so Roy, uh, what do you say to people criticising you for the the fact that you weren't at the Iceland game to scout them? And he said, well, I would say that I had fi- a five-man team at that game. I had Gary Neville there. I had a statistician there, a video guy. He basically went on, like, on and on about all these people he had at that game. And I went to a different game because there was a chance we were playing other opponents. I was all very fair enough, and he was 100% right and definitive, but you kind of get the sense, Roy, you're talking too much here. You're giving these guys exactly what they want, rather than just telling them to 
F off in the politest possible yeah. way because it was a, it's a ludicrous thing to say. Oh, you weren't at the. How were you not at the? How did you not know they were definitely going to? Uh, you were definitely going to play Iceland in the last round. It was, but he he's nearly by rubbishing it. He's almost giving the question credibility. Yeah. it's a tough. It's, look, it's a tough yeah, job. To there's manage. a tightrope to to walk, and the on this particular occasion, what you want to say is no, that's, that that's rubbish. I'd five guys at it. Next question. Uh, but but uh, and then but they're on either side. The tightrope that you're walking is on one side. You fall to the left by saying, "Ah, oh, you know, piss off," and then on the other hand, by explaining for five minutes why, you know, there was a, like a fifty-fifty chance, actually more of a sixty-forty chance that you'd have been playing Portugal rather than Iceland. So let's go into detail about statistically exactly, yeah, why who we might know, have been playing. Like, why didn't you? I want him just to tell him to piss off. Next. Yeah, just and to be honest, to say that, yeah, lads, uh, get, come on. yeah, he is kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because it's uh, Roy Hodgson uh, loses his Roy, Roy Hodgson uh, has meltdown at press conference, or Roy Hodgson is weak at press conference, one or the other. Yeah, and it's no, I'm not necessarily criticizing Hodgson. As, well, I am, I suppose I, I do feel that he doesn't need to get into it with these guys, but I can totally understand why he does. I think most human beings probably would if they're being asked, not just asked. Every every manager gets asked poor questions or pointless questions, but. The deliberately needling ones that the English media tend to specialise in must get particularly frustrating. And my point is that they're in the second round. This is the kind of stuff that in most countries happens after the team gets knocked out. Yeah. But it seems to start already uh, with England. Then again, they might stuff Iceland 3-0. And Would it be the worst ever team they've lost to in a major tournament? Oh, it's, well... USA 1950? Yeah, yeah. That we've seen in, in the, the last... last uh, 66 years... Uh, Iceland have been good in the tournament, though. You know, they're certainly the smallest. The They've got yeah. five points in the group. It's not as though they're they're one of these teams that have scraped through with two points. Or, well, nobody scraped through with two points, but mm. with three points. I mean, they got their they got their win at the end, so they've been reasonable. But yeah, I, like as they were saying on one of the one of those podcasts, it's the size of Wakefield. Uh, the population of Wakefield is uh, Iceland, <laughs> so really we should be. Oh, I'm sure Wakefield would do a job. That's no disrespect. No to disrespect Wakefield, to the lads of Wakefield. Rugby league country, isn't it, Simon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap things up. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Thanks Simon. Listen to the football podcast. Loads of great stuff in there. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll have another Euros show tomorrow after the last two round of 16 games. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 